I always played the, you know, the best I could with what I had at that moment in time. Why? Because there's somebody else out there that would love to trade places with you. That maybe, you know, is in the hospital, can't, you know, sick, only has one more day to live. What are you going to do to make their life valuable? All right, I'm here with the one and only Misty May trainer. Misty, thank you so much for being here. No problem. Oh, I'm excited about this one. Uh, Misty, you are a two-time state champion. You are, a, you are the setter for the Long Beach State um, winning, the, sorry, <clears throat> start over. <clears throat> You're a two-time state champion at Newport Harbor. You are a setter for the Long Beach State winning the 98 NCAA championship as the captain of the first women's NCAA volleyball team to have an undefeated season. You're a back-to-back national player of the year. On the AVP Pro Beach Volleyball Tour, you had a winning streak of 112 consecutive matches with Kerry Walsh Jennings. You're a three-time Olympic gold medalist. You are arguably the best female athlete of your generation. You're a mom, wife, coach, animal lover, and author. Misty May, again, thank you so much for being here. Oh, no problem. <laughs> it's like, can I get that time back? <laughs> Misty, we're going to jump right into it. What does living an inspired life mean to you? Um, living an inspired life means being able to make a difference. I think every time you wake up, you know, mm. um, every time you wake up, you should feel inspired because you have an opportunity to do something, you know, not mm. everybody gets that chance. Um, and so that's what living, you know, I try to inspire my family. I try to inspire, um, the neighbors when I walk out the door, anybody I kind of come in contact with, I try to, well, nowadays you don't come in contact with anybody, but when you come in contact with, um, people, you try, I try to live life the best I can and spread joy so that the inspiration kind of spider webs out there. But I think living an inspired life is every time you have a chance to wake up, every time you have a chance to do something, you do it to the best of your ability. Ah, I love that. You know, I started this project to help inspire others through stories of accomplished people like yourself. And I've, I've looked up to you over the years and I'm, again, I'm so grateful to have this chance to talk with you, but just talk a little bit about some tools that you use to stay inspired, especially now during the COVID. Um, you know, I think I get this from my dad. He's very good at brushing things off his shoulders. And maybe it's the Hawaiian in us that it's just, hey, whatever happens, happens, you know, say la vie. And that's kind of how I've gone through my playing career. My life is, is the problem really that bad to get, you know, emotionally, you know, uh, become like emotionally involved with, or is it, mm-hmm. okay. I got to go to plan B or plan C and how do I move on? Um, So that's how I, you know, I kind of grew up with my dad saying like, okay, if there's a problem, fix it. Cause things are always fixable. Now there's some things that aren't fixable, but you do the best that you can with kind of what you have. But that's what, um, that's how I get inspired is just, sometimes being the underdog like I don't mind being the underdog yeah I don't mind being the one behind the scenes quiet doing the work and you know um that's inspired that's inspiring to me 
Yeah. But finding that, but knowing that there's always a plan B and that, and being able to use the brains that we have and the abilities to make something that isn't working workable. Mm, I love that. I love that. I, and I want to talk about your dad, Butch, and, and, and we'll get into that. But I also want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your book and we'll get into this too. There it is right there. And I read it and it's so good. And you, and you, you kind of go through your whole career and, and talk about the details and everything. And could you just talk about where your, your, your inspiration for writing all that came from? Um, you know, I'm one to not dive away from different opportunities. You know, they say you have to get uncomfortable to be comfortable. Yeah, definitely. I'm not an author. I'm not a writer, but so for me, that was uncomfortable. But when a situation or opportunity comes along, I'm the one that's going to take the risk and grab it, you know, and go with it because you never know when it's going to come around again. Yeah. Um, and this was an opportunity to tell my story, a side of me maybe fans didn't know. And, you know, I talk about alcoholism in there. I talk about sexual assault. Um, I talk about the ups and downs, you know, with playing. I talk about injuries. And I was hoping that by um, letting people in, that it could connect with, with somebody that needed that little extra push or, hey, she's been through it, you know. I can get over this hurdle. So I think it's a, it was just another avenue to connect with people to see me, not the yeah. player, Misty, but who I am. Yeah. What I've had to deal with. Absolutely. I mean, uh, th this is the book right here for everybody. And I, I'll leave a link to this too. Um, but I was just really impressed reading this and, and just talk a little bit about vulnerability because I feel like vulnerability is something that we all kind of need to get better at just expressing what we're going through, whether it's good, bad, whatever it is. But for any youth athlete who might be listening to this, just talk a little bit about vulnerability for them. I think it's tough because everybody wants to put on a hard exterior. And for so long, you're told like, hey, if there's a issue, don't even like say anything about it, you know, kind of wipe it off. Right. But, you know, if, if you are having problems, the problem doesn't seem as big if you mm -hmm. let people in. If mm. you talk about it, I feel like the problem kind of starts to dissolve, but also too, with our sport, you have teammates surrounding you. They're there to help. That's right. why they're teammates. It's not right. an volleyball is not an individual sport. So you have to be vulnerable, you know, at some point to allow your teammates to overstep your boundary, to help you when you need help, because you're going to have to do that with them someday. They're not mind readers. And I think it is super important if you play a team sport, if you're not feeling something that they walk in and you can fake it as much as you can, but that becomes a heavy load on your shoulders. It's okay to say, Hey guys, I'm just a little fatigued today, but I'm going to work my best. So you always have a positive, but you just let them know. So when you're maybe not performing at what you think is your best, your team, your teammates aren't on you because they already know and they're there to help. It's just a, I think it's just super important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think coaches and parents can help guide the youth, you know, just to be vulnerable. I, I think I, I, the reason why I asked that, I, I feel like is we're, we're such a social media driven culture right now. We all want to look good, right? We all want to have the best photo and, and the, the best lighting and all that kind of stuff. But I think authenticity and vulnerability are, are two things, two values that are undervalued right now. And I think we need more of those things, you know? 
I think so. And just to, I've had a couple conversations with some players on the AVP and I said, let your personality shine, Yeah. you know, yeah. be you, be right. you. Right. So what, if you don't fit in with all the players, you don't fit in, but you have to make it work and you're on the court. That doesn't mean you have to be the best of friends off the court or, you know, like the same hobbies. Right. That's okay. You know, but just be you and be truthful. And especially to being vulnerable, there's with injuries, you know, we tell right. when I was coaching, I tell kids, just be honest. If your leg is hurt, let us know right. one, you don't want to get hurt further. But then a lot of them are scared. Oh, then that's going to take away my playing time. And it becomes the I factor mm -hmm. instead of what is better for the team or what is that, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. You know, by them being vulnerable, they're actually providing more for the team than they think that they're taking away. Right, 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 right. No, that's great. I, I think that's that's super knowledgeable. Let's uh, let's go back to your roots a little bit. You know, you and I kind of are we, we share. I'm a little younger than you, but we share growing up at Santa Monica Pier. Uh, I went to Santa Monica High School. I used to go down there every day uh, and and play and sign up and play. And I know you you grew up there. I want you to talk a little bit about the Santa Monica Pier when you were young, and and also kind of translate that into being a multi-sport athlete. So it's funny. So my mom went to Samo, her whole family. So I was actually earmarked to go to Samo, but okay. then we moved to Orange County in eighth grade. Um, but we lived over by Santa Monica city. So both my parents coached at Santa Monica city and, but yeah, I mean, they owned a pizza stand down at Santa Monica pier. So I was down there all the time. I've seen the pier uh, get wiped away by storm and rebuilt. I've that um, there's a dragon. Um, little playground right at the base of the pier yeah. it looks it I don't know if it spouts water anymore but I danced for Santa Monica Dance Company and we did like the inaugural opening of that little park like dance <laughs> there but I was there every you know weekend and it was neat because as a kid all all the adults would look out for everybody's you know kids so you felt safe and um, you mentioned the signups which is so funny because beaches aren't like that anymore and it's no. really sad and i think that takes some of the joy away too it's like everybody has their groups that they go down with and you know if you ask for a game they look at you like you're an alien mm -hmm. like you want to join our group or how good are you or where back in the day it was a somebody go down there and nail you know a sheet of paper and you'd you'd have to wait all day and i think that's what made um me the type of player i was because i was playing with all different types of uh players i'd play with my dad i'd play with uh different people wilt i got to see wilt play down there yeah. all the time and like liz masakian and so i got to play in these other games called big games so i'm 10 years old and it was six on six and they play till um you know the pure lights came on but you'd have to sign up and you'd have to wait so you didn't want to lose because you didn't know when you were going to get called back up but mm -hmm. um it's just it's not like that anymore you know, and, it, and it's sad. And I'm very fortunate that I got able, I was able to experience that yep. and experience the people that I was around. Um, but a lot of these players, they don't, they don't seem to understand that. Yes, you can go and train nowadays and play. But for us, certain generations, it was, you were down there at eight in the morning mm -hmm. and you played all day until like five. And then you were down there the next day. And this was for fun. Nobody had to tell us to go down. Like it was just for fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, like I said, I went to Samoa. I used to walk down right after school and we used to play until the lights went off like 930 at night, you know. And um, so I love that you have those roots there at the Santa Monica Pier. Can you talk a little bit about being a multi-sport athlete? Because I feel like that's just so rare right now. Like everyone's being specialized so young, you know. For sure. And you see that across the board. Uh, my husband played baseball and they, he went to modern day. He had to decide right away, like, is he a right. baseball or football player? And I think it hurts the athletes having to choose so early. I tell a lot of the athletes, if they ask me, play as many sports as you can until you sign on that dotted line for your scholarship. Cause you never know when you're going to grow. Are you going to become faster? Are you going to fall out of love with it? Like, what ultimately, you know, gonna is gonna happen? Are you gonna get injured? Like nobody, kind of nobody knows. But I think becoming a multi-sport athlete, it allowed me to adapt better and easier on the court. Right. Um, and you, you played soccer and track, right? So I did soccer and track in high school, but I played. Yeah. I grew up playing basketball, tennis. I swam. So I think seeing you know different sports, especially soccer and learning how to how to move properly that's one of the things the athletes aren't learning is how to move properly half the athletes I see you ask them to jump and their arms are down when they're trying to go up like they have no clue on how their bodies work right and um, that's what all those sports they allow you to learn different movement patterns how to move and Absolutely. Could you talk about burnout for a second? Because I feel like being a multi-sport athlete really helps to not be burned out, right? Like, and I see it as a coach, I see like kids who are just grinding and trying to compete with, with uh, their opponents and trying to get that scholarship and they, they feel that burnout, you know? So between burnout and then there's that overuse element, right? You know, you're doing the same pat movement pattern all the time. I've never heard so many young kids getting surgeries before. Um, but burnout, yeah, it's, you need to give your mind a break. And that's what's so great about having the different seasons and playing different sports, even dancing, just doing something other than volleyball or the sport you're doing. It allows your brain to take a break from that sport for, it could be like six weeks, five weeks, or you could be doing it at the same time, but it still allows your brain to take that break. Yeah. And do you think coaches and parents should encourage that more to the kids, even if the kids are like so in love with volleyball or whatever sport there is, I want to go do this. I want, do, do you think the, the encouragement should be like, Hey, we should, you know, do some other things as well. I think parents should encourage more. Now there's a difference. I don't, you know, if they're heading towards college, I don't know if snow skiing would probably be the best, like, Hey, let's cross train. Let's go snow skiing. <laughs> right. But um, I think definitely allowing the kids or trying introducing them to new new sports isn't right. a bad idea because some of the sports in college you're able to do both if they're not the same season um but i think that's allowing to the athlete to step out of their comfort zone right why don't they want to try something new because i'm not going to be good at it mm -hmm. or i don't know you know so what right it doesn't have to be a club team go out for your track team at high school try a sport in high school. Yeah. It's just tough um, because some of the coaches club and high school regulate nowadays. So regulate, I yeah. you know, mm -hmm. regulate or demand. So, I was going to say, yeah, correct. Right. So my, I mean, my best advice for those that want to play dual sports is 
maybe you find a club program that understands that. You know, it may not be the top program or maybe not the top team, but something that will allow you to do both. You're still going to enhance your product. Right. So that's just a, that's um, kind of, I don't want to say a sacrifice you have to make, but so what if all your friends are going to one club and you're like, well, this club, I can do my track and my volleyball. Yeah. And they understand if I'm not there on meet days or, you know, but then too, the parents have to, and the athlete has to understand that if they make a commitment to a club team and they are playing other sports, really the parents are paying for the training. They're not paying for the playing time of this athlete on the court, right, which right. is a lot of them think. So you have to understand that if she, if the athlete, he or she isn't going to be at all the practice, that's okay. They're getting the training. When they get the opportunity to step on the court, they step on the court. Or maybe when they're able to go a full seat, you know, maybe one season ends and they're able to be in practice more, but they have to, the athlete has to understand that there's going to be a give and take too if they do dual sport. Yeah, for sure. Misty, let's talk a little bit about mindset. You know, you're a, obviously a winner. You're an accomplished athlete. Um, can you give us a little glimpse of your mindset going into a practice or going into a game or a championship? Like what's going on in your mind? Um, a lot of people ask me what I miss most about playing. And I think it surprised them because they're like, oh, the travel or the competing. Mm -hmm. The competing is nice because you do get to travel the world and you get you see your international friends or, you know, friends from out of state. But I truly miss the practices. And a lot of the young athletes probably would be like, oh, I hate practice, but I love practice because it's you're pushing yourself beyond what you think and your coach is pushing you beyond what you think. And then it makes the games easy. Yeah, sure. You don't want to, you know, you win some, you lose some. But um, my mindset's always the same. I think I'm a little more critical though in practice because I want to make sure that I have my techniques and everything down because I'm the one getting picked on ultimately out of carry and I am the one getting picked on. So um, practice for me um, was very similar to game. You know, I don't think you should now mistakes in practice. I can probably shrug them off a little easier or I can maybe make more mistakes in practice than I should in a game. But the only way to get better is, to allow yourself to make mistakes. That's the only way you can get better. And that's what practice is for, is to make all your mistakes in practice so either you can be corrected or you can figure out what you need to work on so that it doesn't happen in a game. Right. But but for me, the mindset's always the same because practice, I'm preparing for that next match. I'm yeah. preparing for that next tournament. You know, I know you you looked up to Karch quite a bit when you were growing up, and I actually had Karch on, and he was talking about productive thoughts, and and, and just organizing your mind to to not allowing unproductive thoughts come in during those training sessions and definitely games. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, like like how to organize? What if a, a a thought that comes comes into your mind that doesn't really, it's not really relating to your your goals? How do you how do you like let those go? in those moments, you know? I don't know, because I, I understand where he's coming from. I can't say that I've ever had like unproductive thoughts. I don't know, it's, it's weird. I can say there's been, I don't wanna say like negative thoughts about the present or what's happening in that moment in time, 
but I've never had like just random thoughts kind of wander through, you know? Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, that's cool. That, that means you're so uber focused and, and I want to actually talk about the zone and flow in, in a second, but like that focus to me is a huge quality for, for, for you, but for champions, right? Like that's a champion mindset to, to be locked in like that. And I think it, I talk about this with the young players. You'll know when you're locked in, it's a very, it's a, it's a different feeling than you'll feel. And that's, I think as you go through your athletic careers, you, I'm not a journal taker. Like I don't, I keep everything kind of here or my emotion, I will replay it, but um, I'll kind of take notes in my head. So like learning how to get to my optimal performance. I never used sports psychology until like I met with Carrie and we went through sports psychology for a little bit together, but nobody really talked about sports psychology, you know, when I, yeah. when we were growing up. And I think it was like each instance is a learning um, kind of tool. So from the time I started playing every day, I touched the ball, there was a learning tool and that book starts to build. Um, so that optimal moment, how the best way I can describe it is like playing a slow motion movie. Um, everything around you is a blur. Yeah, I was just going to quote um, you on that. Yeah, Everything yeah. around you is a blur. You hear voices, but you can't make them out. Right. But everything is present. Everything is picture clear in front of you, you know, within like the few feet of you. Um, and it just kind of is, is, runs a little slower. And your breath, it's, you're not hyperventilating. You're not nervous yet inside you feel like this is going to get done there's like an ease like a a calm yeah so how do you practice that because i agree with you and i, I love think, that but how do you do yeah like for especially for the youth athlete how do you practice that so i think not it well when you have to have goal like what are your goals you know, you need realistic goals. You need little, uh, little goals along the way. Then you need your large goal. Um, like I said, each kind of time you step on the court, there's a learning curve. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Right. You know, and I think that's the one thing is people get so locked up in making mistakes that they get so tight and then they start to get anxious and nervous and then it compounds. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's the only way you can get better. Also too, no, failures, I hate to say it, inevitable. Everybody fails. But do you look at it as a fail or I just fell short? I just fell short. You know, you didn't fail. Failing was, failing's not even trying, not even getting out there. Mm -hmm. So right there, right. you're already one step ahead of the game. You just fell short. But be excited because when you fall short, there should be that excitement of this is what I get to work on now. Right. I see, you know, my shortcomings. This is what I get to work on. So I think all those things, uh, the failures I've had, um, the, my dad would tell me to, you know, play for those that couldn't play. And that goes back to um, 
the inspiring. You know, I have a body. I have, I don't want to say gift, but I, I'm not a mathematician. So other people have other gifts. This just happens to be my gift. The court is my canvas and I get mm -hmm. to create. Mm -hmm. And maybe it comes a little easier just because I studied the game for so long. But I always played the, you know, the best I could with what I had at that moment in time. Why? Because there's somebody else out there that would love to trade places with you. That love maybe, that. you know, is in the hospital, can't, you know, sick, only has one more day to live. What are you going to do to make their life valuable? Mm. You know? I love that. That's very so, selfless, you know, and, and, and very thoughtful and mindful. Um, actually, I want to carry that over to your self-talk. Self-talk to me is very important and it, and it kind of falls in line with this conversation of mindset. Um, you know, what tools can you offer for anyone and not even just the youth, like anyone to practice self-talk because we're kind of having a conversation with ourselves all day long. Right. You know, I think that's the worst. So like if I was to take Karch's thing, the self-talk would be kind of what would get me off kilter. What do you mean? Um, but just going back real fast, yeah, visualiz yeah. visualization will help with that trying to get in the zone. Okay. Each player should take a couple minutes before visualize themselves going through each movement, each technique. And I learned it doing high jump, but you see yourself do it. I tell you, I've been on the court before. I visualize the play. It happens. And I'm like, well, this is like deja vu, you know, and you perform it the way you're supposed to. Um, but that takes work as well. But self-talk is so important, you know, self-talk and body language. Um, it's very easy to get down on yourself. It's mm -hmm. very easy to say, oh, I got aced. I hope they don't serve me again or <laughs> shank that pass. And that's something you just have to learn. You know, you, you have to keep repeating to yourself that I'm a good passer. Okay, they got me once, but I'm a good passer. How do you turn it? Because as soon as you start to let that negative creep in, your game starts going down. And I can't tell you when you're going to hit bottom before it starts, before there's a play that happens before you start on your way back up. But the sooner you can kind of nip the self, the negative self-talk, the better you'll be. Right. You know, and that's the vulnerable part. Hey, teammate, if you see my head start to go, come, come over to me and just pump me up or, some, you know, let your teammates kind of know so they can help you get out of that, that funk. Right. But um, the self-talk is super important. I used it until the last day of the Olympics. Every time I go back to pass, because we get April Ross who serves the ball hard and a lot of these jump floaters, which I hate, you know, they're coming at you. So every time the crowd can't hear you. So it doesn't matter how loud you talk. I'd be like, okay, ball's coming my way. Carrie, you got my middle platform out, you know? So it's little key reminders and your body follows what you say. I love that. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about Coach Dane Selznick because I actually reached out to to Dane and asked him about you, and he said a couple of things. I just want to uh, to to say, and then you can respond. He said that you were the quiet ninja, and you were the best side out player ever. Uh, you respected your opponents, created goals for yourself, and you give back to the game. How how, do, how does all that resonate with you? Well, he was one of our first coaches, so it was fun. Um, fancy feet, Dane. It was <laughs> funny. But um, no, that's 
you know, if I want people to remember me, that's how I would want to be reflected. And so I appreciate that, especially coming from, you know, Dane, because all he's done. And then his father, Gene, I would go down to tournaments um, at State Beach. But I mean, being the shorter player on the court, I knew I had to be a top, like, I had to be a high percentage side out. So extra time in the gym, I had to increase, you know, make sure my vertical was the same at the beginning of the tournament than it was at the end running extra sprints because I'm the defender back there. My goal is I don't want the ball hitting the ground. Um, as far as quiet ninja, I would say Carrie was more of the, the voice and the cheerleader of the team. Um, remember earlier I said, you know, sometimes just bet I just like quiet and do my mm -hmm. work in the back and yep. that's how I operated. So everybody's going to be different. This is where, um, as a setter mm. too, in college, you start to learn your personnel, how you can talk to people, how they up are. There's quiet people. There's loud people, um, hyped up people, you know, there's all different. And so that's why it's okay to be different. You know, you can be a leader by example. You don't have to be a loud leader. And yeah. so it, it worked, you know, obviously, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for sure it worked but um yeah my i mean my goal for as long as i could play was i didn't want to lose points getting served right and yeah. that's one of the easiest ways to get the ball back is if i could have a high percentage siding out on the first ball um you know that was my job right i i play right side on the beach and you were just inspiring to watch just the way you 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 kind of created angles, you know, and obviously you could hit hard too, but you just saw these angles all the time and, and very impressive, <laughs> inspiring. Well, I think, I think a lot of people ask, cause right side is obviously for right-handers is the off, you know, off position. Mm -hmm. um, every, oh, how'd you side out? And it's like, okay, well, we don't have good vision. Yeah. If I had a 45 inch vertical, I could probably take a look around before I hit the ball. Um, but I'm not, I don't have that. So you have to use your imagination. You have to learn feel, you have to start to know the boundaries of the court, um, court, um, awareness, you know, where, when you hit shots and this is where practice comes in working on all your shots. So if you were to close your eyes, you know, that ball's in, I know it's down the line. And then too, if you don't see the defender, don't try to play with the defender, work the block, you know, because once the block gets moving, then it throws the defender off. So if you can't see the defender, don't try to, you know, hit past the block, like use the block, drive them nuts. So it's yeah. always a cat and mouse. It's fun. Yeah. One of the things he said too, that I want to mention is um, he said the best players are those who can get out of, can get us out of trouble. Right. So you have to, um, and that's what I would do is a lot of times I would do some double days with my dad mm -hmm. and we would work on, all the off plays. So working on a cut shot from 10 to 15 feet off the net. Why? You might need it. Um, working on uh, hitting high off the hands, working on tooling the block. You know, you need to work on every aspect of the game, not the ones that are always in system. Right. Uh, I want to ask, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, because I want to say a, a majority of the game is played out of system. 
So that, okay, so that leads me to this question. So there's a play, I believe, I want to say in the finals of 2008 Beijing, where they went on one, it was 18 all, they went on one and you went on to the left. And then you had a goofy foot approach on the left, went off the hands and got the kill. Could you just talk a little bit about uh, goofy foot, regular foot? What's your take on all that? I know Karch was goofy foot, but, so but specifically, so uh, sorry, specifically for training kids. Um, I mean, I wouldn't train goofy, like I just, I wouldn't train goofy footed. Um, it's just something that would happen, you know? So throw a couple balls, make sure that when you get off the ground, I mean, you're just trying to get off the ground and get up as fast as you can. Indoors, I never trained goofy footed. So I never really was like, oh, toss balls to me, dad or Dane or Marcio or, and let me hit goofy footed. It was just something that would happen. Okay. Um, just how my body moved. I know Karch was goofy footed. Yeah. But at the end of the day, beach volleyball, your last two steps are the most important. I think your yeah. last two steps. So however you can get there, cause you're going to, you're not always going to be in the best position, you know? So, I like that. Yeah. um, I can't say that I would be like, Oh, train, but it doesn't hurt to throw a couple balls. If you know, you know, put yourself in an awkward position or, same with the defenders. I don't care if you're five foot and your partner is six one. Don't play defense all the time. Get up there and block. Even if you can't get over the net, you might get stuck up there. But learn the position. Why? Because it's going to make your position easier. Right. I like that. I, I but yeah, that's... as far as the goofy foot, it's just get up and get up and attack the ball. Okay. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I want to talk about being unconditional. You know, part of, uh, again, part of this project for me anyway is being unconditionally inspired. I think that's the message that I'm trying to um, to get across and practice myself. I'm not saying I'm a master at that, but I'm, I think that to me that that's the goal. Um, I reached out to Geeter, Chris McGee, um, and I know he announced you for a long time on the AVP. Um, here's what he said about you. And I would lo love for you, I would love to hear you respond specifically about being unconditional. So he said, you were focused and dialed in and, and you did it with such class. It was so easy to root for you. You're the, again, he said, you're the best side out serve receive player I have ever witnessed regardless of gender, rain, sleet, heat, or any time zone. Um, talk about being unconditional with all those conditions. I remember watching you in that 2008 final, the rain was coming down. Nothing phased you, you know, like how? How, how did that work for you? And how do you relay that onto others? It's the training. You know, we never took an off day. Now as a coach, I hate to admit this, if mm -hmm. it's raining, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> this is called up. I don't want to stand in the rain. But as a right. player, the only time we would really cancel practice if it was a heavy downpour because nobody wants to get sick. Right. Or if, you know, some of those winds in the South Bay, I mean, balls would be rolling down. If it was too, if we felt it was too windy to be productive which can happen, you know? Um, but other than that, we practice in everything. Yeah. And I think that's what you have to, you have to have that mindset that even on a rainy day, I can get something done. You know, even if it's running in the rain or, you know, if nobody else wants to practice, you have to be in the elements. We've played in snow before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so. Yeah, I know that's a sport now, snow volley. Right. Um, <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about being unconditional mentally and emotionally? Because all of us have stuff outside of the game 
going on, whether it's our, our family or polit politics or COVID, whatever. How do you deal with that unconditional? Um, I think it's just like me stepping in and working out like I am now. It's the one hour to dedicate to myself or two hours to dedicate fully to myself. Yeah. So when I would go to practice, I'm taking away from my team or my teammates by bringing baggage in the gym. Right. This is, this is my getaway. You know, this is two hours to just kind of shut the world out. Right. And then deal with my problems, you know, after. Um, and I think a lot, like the unconditional too is, I'm not a poker player, but I like to say I have a poker face. You know? <laughs> so you never know if I'm winning or losing. You know, I and like I think that. that's a good, that's a good thing to have. So that's, I think what made me a force too. And especially with the glasses, you can't read people's <laughs> eyes. It's like, okay. But um, I think when you have, when this is your job or mm -hmm. when you're a student athlete, you have so much on your plate that really enjoy the time you have on the court and, you know, breathe in the now Mm. and shut the doors to the outside stuff for the one hour, you know? Love that. Love that. That's awesome. I know we had touched on visualization and the, um, you know, being locked in or in the zone. I just want to go right back to that because I've been asking everyone that comes on the podcast about the flow. And I'm, I'm curious, I know we touched on it, but I'm curious from you, if you think when you get in the zone, whether it's in, um, in practice or a game, is it something that you can like be aware of in that moment? Or does it just kind of go by, like, like you said, as a blur? No, I don't say I, when I know I'm in the flow, it's like even that China game, when we were yeah. down in London, I felt we were in the flow and I was like, oh, this is going to happen. Like cool. I just knew like this outcome is going to happen the way we saw it happen. Cool. And it's just a matter of time, but it's going to happen. And that's why there's that sense of ease. It's like, just ride out the storm. But this is what we envisioned and how I'm feeling. I know this is going to go our way. Mm. Um, can you practice that in practice? I think you can. And there's like little things too along the way. Like I listen to the same playlist of music um you know each of the olympics because it put me in that zone and this is where the young athletes to start to get in tune with your body and your emotions and what makes you feel a certain way um i know when we saw the sports psychologist carrie needed to be brought down because she runs at a high i mean her engine she runs at a high level and then i'm more the calm like dane said just quiet and i need to be brought up so there's like that even level so for her, she, I know she would listen to Sade, uh, Sade before a game to kind of calm her. Plus, I think it, she'd think about Casey. It's like, okay, perfect. We got this in the bag. But um, but for me, it's like I'd listen to hip hop and I wouldn't. And again, warming up, it's like she didn't want anybody to bother her. And then if I had people come up, it's like, hey, how are I could carry on a conversation. So there was two different, you know, ways of dealing with the stress or um you know, getting into the zone Two, I tell athletes, write down what you eat too, because throughout, you know, if you have a hamburger before game and you get on the court and you're like, Oh, I feel so sluggish and I'm tired. 
then you have to go back. What did I do pregame that made me feel like that? Right. So you start to you start to understand how long you need warming up. What stretches work for you? Um, what you know, music maybe to put on your uh, iPod or your phone. Um, what meals to eat before? What makes you recover fast? So there's a whole lot that I think over the lifetime of an athlete, it's always changing mm-hmm. and evolving. But the sooner you start to um, take the time to really focus and learn about yourself, the sooner you'll start to figure out how to get in that zone. Mm. I love that. Mm. I love that. Um, I want to talk about the Olympics now. And before we talk about winning, uh, which I want to get into, you know, Kobe Bryant was, um, was a huge impact on me growing up. You know, I, I wanted to ask you about any stories or, or, you know, um, interactions you may have had with, with Kobe at the Olympics. Actually, at the Olympics, I actually found a picture um, that I have to get printed so I can put it on the wall. But um, it was devastating when you hear, you, not saying we were friends. I mean, everybody knows Kobe, when, but when you interact with people and you hear of a passing, it, it puts everything in perspective. And that's the one thing I try to get across the young athletes is you only have now. You're not guaranteed a tomorrow. You're not guaranteed another minute. Um, so what can you do now? Right. To either make a difference or what can you do now um, is a super important thing. And I think um, for as sad as it may be, I feel like he lives so much in the now mm-hmm. and his family understands that. Yep. Um, and he gave so much to the sport. I mean, you see the turnout, you see how he affected everyone's life. Right. Um, so I didn't have too much in it, just a hi, how are you interaction. But I know his daughter um, played club volleyball. I don't know if she's playing now, but she was um, doing club volleyball. And um, one of my former players at Long Beach State was her coach. And so I just, you know. Yeah. RIP Kobe. He's uh, there's There he is right there. Um, I want to talk now about winning. Um, and not just because you won three Olympics in a row, but... I want to talk about the moment, you know, because this whole idea of inspired living is, is that what does that feel like that inspiration and how can we carry that over into our, our daily lives. So specifically the, uh, the last one, the 2012 London Olympics, because you overcame so much getting there. We didn't really even get into the injuries and dancing with the stars and all that, but you, you got through these challenges and you, you had this moment, right? Like this and, can you just talk about that moment and what that felt like? I think uh, what it came down, Kobe had the same injury, the Achilles. Right, that's right. part of the Achilles club. Right. And one of the worst injuries I've had because you have to learn how to walk again and run again. And not much was mentioned at the Olympics um, because I didn't make it a big deal. It's not a big deal. But my 80% was really my 100%. Mm. Um, but our bodies are so wonderful that they learn to adapt. And if you, you know, your brain, you can learn to adapt. And that's what's so great about volleyball, the sport. You don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to be the tallest. You just have to have it up here. You have to, yeah, it's a chess game. You have to have it upstairs. Um, but that moment, I can see the emotion and picture, but anything, when you set a goal and it comes true, you feel accomplished because everything that 
every decision you made, every, um, everything that you did made that happen. You know, it's, you didn't let anything take away from it. And, uh, I think for me, the biggest thing, Carrie and I were the underdog. We, they didn't have us meddling, um, because we hadn't played together for two years and we only won one tournament. So I think for us, it was like a relief, like Mm. we knew we could do it. Nobody else did, but because we believed in our system, our coaching, our, our, you know, our team that we overcame. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think what it, that emotion was, was we showed you, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, so such a cool moment. I'm going to actually, uh, I'm going to leave a link to that, um, to that moment. Cause you, it was so cool how both you guys just ran around and just were hugging people and just like all this emotion. Because it was like, this just happened to get, you know? (laughs) And like I said, because not very many people knew. And then that, we've been through so much in our life. I mean, she had two kids right? by then. Right. So she's trying to find her family and it was yeah. something we, we knew we could accomplish. Um, it, we just had to do it. So great. Um, I was, I was very proud of you guys, but it was, it was, a, it was a great moment. I, I only have a couple more and I'm, I want to respect your time, but um, I want to talk about injury because for anyone listening to this, who might be going through an injury or a sickness or anything, you know, that resiliency of that champion mindset to come back. Like you mentioned Kobe and, and you, you had that Achilles injury, but you also had an, other injuries. You had a, a abdominal injury. And I just want you to talk quickly about like the recovery process. In your book, you go through this detailed kind of like, I went to this person and that person, I got this right. work and that work. Not everyone might- may... Not everybody's, not everybody's going to have access to- Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess I wanted you to just kind of share your approach to, to, to coming back because obviously you came back and obviously it worked. Yeah. So I've had a couple of ab injuries, the ruptured Achilles, a PCL replacement and tear. And then now I'm two years out. I've had a knee replacement in my left knee. Um, I've never, I sprained my ankle once indoor, but you know, nobody means to get injured. And I think it goes with that mindset don't be negative, you know, use breathing techniques, close your eyes, visualize yourself healing. And I think the main thing with injuries is don't be impatient. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets impatient and then you end up backsliding. Really listen to your doctors, listen to your PTs, do the exercises and stay patient. You know, don't try to rush to get back out on the court. Um, It's going to be hard, but I think that's what helped me is I wasn't rushing I listened to to what the doctors had to say I didn't lie to them okay doc you said off the foot and then oh I'm you know walking around which a lot of people do or um so you have to be honest you know with your training staff with your coaches so they're not pushing you when you know you shouldn't be doing something everyone kind of has to be involved in the process mm-hmm to come back the fastest, but I definitely think visualization worked breathing. And this happened with my mom with cancer. She would visualize, you know, the healing light kind of coming, you know, through her body. And, um, our brain is a powerful source of energy. And, um, if you learn how to use it and just 
kind of breathe and see yourself healing to the visualization. It also um, will fire your muscles. So when athletes are sitting out, go and watch practice. Because even though your mind's going, you're still, muscles are firing. You don't know they are, but you're still able to learn. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. And not even just athletes, like anyone, like, like, let's, let's say you, you have a leg injury. Well, visualize yourself walking correctly. Right. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And then, you know, watching different sports and stuff, it, you know, you, your brain, your brain's smart enough. It'll, it'll help you out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I, but I definitely think staying patient is the key staying patient, staying patient and staying positive. Cause I actually remember you going out on Ellen, right? You, you came out on crutches, but you came out dancing, right? Like, nothing. I mean, you get injured. <laughs> there's nothing you can do. Right. I mean, you're already injured. I thought that was cool. So, cause yeah, I just love that. Cause she was even asking you about it and you were like, yeah, it's cool. I'll, I'll be back. I'll dance right now. You know? <laughs> and, that's, and that's what, you know, that's tr- how I try to go through life. It's like, okay, something happens. Okay, it's not the worst thing that could happen to me. Yeah, nobody wants to be injured, but life still goes on. The the world still turns, you know? Yeah. So um, you'll do yourself more harm if you think about the what is or, oh, poor yeah. me. Right, right, right. Last two questions. Um, I know I know, I just said that, but I just want to know real quick, how did it feel when you got a chance to pepper on the lawn of the White House? Oh, geez. I forgot <laughs> about that. It is fine. You know, Carrie and I were like, oh, there's a bowl. Okay, let's just let's just pepper, you know. <laughs> then we I went to that. a concert. Then we went concert at the garden, but um I peppered there, I peppered on the Great Wall. So that's pretty cool. Uh, you talk control. about that in your book. You gotta have ball control to do it because you, you don't want to be spraying and <laughs> secret service guys running all over, you know. That's pretty so. cool. Okay, last question, Misty. Talk to me about fulfillment. You know, you you achieved the peak of athletic achievement multiple times three times gold like state champion all all these these accolades what does fulfillment mean to you i think fulfillment means well when you see your hard work pay off because you put in a lot of hours and if i can step off the court at the end of the day and say i gave it my all and i did everything i could whether i win or lose i should feel fulfilled because i that's just the nature of sport you're gonna have a winner and a loser but as long as I know in my heart that I did everything I possibly could to put myself in the best situation for me or for my team, then I can be fulfilled. Fulfillment indoor, seeing my teammates get recognized for, you know, something, seeing them accomplish um, either skills they couldn't do before or um, accomplish, you know, we had some players that went to school for the first time, you know? So to me, that's fulfilling, helping them along their journey. Yeah. Misty, you're so awesome. Thank you so much for making the time to do this. We had such a great conversation. I would love to do a part two sometime. Um, and I was actually trying to think of a word for you. And it, it, the only word I could really come up with is inspiring. You, you are inspiring be, and, and and the reason why for me is not just because of all your accomplishments but it's because of your desire to give back you know i really it really comes through in, in your book and just talking with you 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 want to help the next generation i and i think that you think that that's 
what it's all about, which I agree with. I, I think that's what it's all about too, is just passing that torch, you know? So that's inspiring to me. So thank you. For you that. have to, you have to, because my dad also said, you know, the information is only as good as, as we make it, you know? Mm -hmm. So if I have good information, it doesn't do anybody else any good. If I hold it inside, you have to, you have to be willing to share. You have to, in order for the sport to grow, you share, yeah. you share ideas, you share thoughts, coaches, share ideas, share thoughts. You know, I think, I think everyone can do a, probably a better job of that. Um, but you have to share with that next generation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Take a moment, tell, uh, tell people where we can find you or learn more about, learn more about you. Oh, I don't know here when I'm back <laughs> again. <laughs> well, your Instagram, right? Uh, at Misty May VB. I do. I haven't been on that for, uh, I've kind of strayed from, I've strayed That's from okay. the, um, social media you no know. no problem no problem it, I'm, goes, I'll do it goes i'm not gonna lie it goes back with the negative i a lot of negativity no worries know, negativity so i'm, I'm just, just trying to promote you this is your book everyone should go buy this book uh, it's really it's really good it's really good great job on that but um no i'm just i'm around <laughs> thank you, you know. so much hopefully for, for, hopefully you know everybody stays healthy and this the COVID starts to clear up and we can get back down on the gyms and the beaches and yeah. um, just for all the young athletes, just um, stay patient, you know, use this time to learn something new, learn a different language, learn something new. Love that. So Love that. Misty. Thank you so much. All right. No problem. I'll okay. talk, we'll, we'll talk soon. Okay. <laughs> no worries. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by DAF Global. If you're looking to start a podcast or you have a podcast and you're looking for editing services, hit up my guys, Oliver and Garrett at DAF Global. They're awesome. They help me with this podcast and they take care of all kinds of different services like editing and audio enhancement. And they're great to work with. They're also offering a 10% discount to all within the game listeners. So hit my guys up at DAF Global on Instagram and also on their website, www.dafglobal.com dot co dot uk